You're listening to House on Fire, a youth-focused podcast that is going to wake up every single listener to embrace urgency and agency in this climate crisis. The wheels of industry are turning. Methane has a lifetime of maybe a decade in the atmosphere. Net zero by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. In the United States, scientists found that streets in poor areas we're up to 3 to 10 degrees Celsius hotter. Of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible. I am Caroline Lewis, the co-host for season two of House on Fire. And with me today is my colleague, Katrina. Take it away. Welcome back to House on Fire, a youth-led climate podcast that aims to get you to wake up. One of the reasons I got into the climate movement was because all of the many solutions that are already present. All we need is action. And my hope is that this podcast will get you to do that. My name is Katrina Irwin. I'm a recent college graduate and an associate program manager at the Clio Institute. I am on a mission to give you all the youth perspective of the climate movement and bring on many other youth climate hosts to help guide me in this effort. Welcome to House on Fire. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to House on Fire. Today, we're taking the climate movement back to ground zero, and we'll be interviewing two incredible Miami-based youth climate activists and two proud University of Miami Hurricanes, Adam and Nicole. Adam Roberti, who is actually a double cane getting his bachelor's and master's from UM, has been involved in the climate movement for many years now and is currently the studio manager for artist Xavier Cortada. As manager, Roberti assists Cortada in developing and advancing his public art, studio art, and socially engaged art practice. We also have Nicole Gazzo, who is currently pursuing her bachelor's at University of Miami and has been involved with our youth advocacy group, Gen Clio, for quite some time now. She has also helped to pass a climate emergency for the city of Miami, organize protests, and even helped to get Gen Clio in her high school. How are you both doing today? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Me too. Cool. I'm happy to have you guys here. So since there's a lot of like Miami hurricane energy in the room, I'm actually a Seminole. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I went to FSU. Uh, Go Knowles. Yeah, go Knowles. Oh man. Nicole, we got work to do, Nicole. No, both my daughters are Knowles. I'm with you, Katrina. Yeah, so you know, this is definitely like a house divided. But just because we're in Miami, I think you guys have to do a go canes to start the podcast off. What do you guys think? I think it goes like you go you. I'm like, we got some canes over here. Okay, let's move on. I'm not enjoying this. (laughs) You're not enjoying this part. All right. (laughs) So the last time the two of us were actually together, the three of us, I mean, was actually back in March when we were advocating for getting the two youth seats on the City of Miami Climate and Resilience Advisory Board, which ended up passing. But our first commission meeting initiative had a very rocky start. So, Adam, you were there. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, so we were there. We had, you know, a lot of us youth voices speaking our minds. uh, And after expressing our concern um, over this initiative, we had one of the commissioners, uh, Joe Carroyo, speaking about how it's really not something that we should be concerned about because, you know, there's really the threat of nuclear holocaust. (laughs) Like, like we have Russia to be worried about. Like, we, we, you know, climate change is so far away, you know, and he just... He just went on a rant for for quite a while about how our fears are misplaced and um, and yet that this is not an issue. And he was, you know, av- obviously advocating for not adding the two youth positions to the board. So 
um, yeah, it was definitely an interesting meeting to say the least. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was kind of there with um, my friend Jackson, who is now a campaign manager for um, a mayor in Tallahassee. But when he was there, this was his first bite of city of Miami politics. And he actually started laughing in the commissioner's face. So I don't know if you remember how he went on that rant, like, oh, I'll give you guys something to laugh about. Yep. That was Jackson's fault. <laughs> <laughs> but he was so outrageous. He was funny. So. It was laughable. I mean, yeah, it was laughable. It really, it really, really was. But Nicole, even though we had initial pushback at first, we were able to end up passing the initiative. What do you think happened? Well, and he even voted for yeah. us too. I feel like the second time I went up, I really took into consideration what he said that first meeting. And I gave him the argument that like, maybe we're in the situation with countries like Russia, because we choose to not switch to renewable energy, mm -hmm. because we choose to continue buying oil from these countries that have us gripped in their hold. And so until we choose to invest in our own economic independent, energy independence, sorry, and really economic independence as well, things aren't going to change. And I brought that up and I feel like that really lit a light bulb in his head. And we had offered to meet with him and just show that this wasn't a fight, but it was a reach out for help. And I feel like that really changed his heart. Yeah, I definitely think that. And the passing of this resolution is so, so important for intergenerational justice. Young people historically have never been a part of the decision-making process, yet our future is being put at risk all the time when it comes to climate change. We need young people making decisions for the city, county, state, and federal level. So I do want to let everyone know that if anyone is listening and they are in between the ages of 18 to 25 and you live in city of Miami, please, please apply for a position on this committee. It is so important that we have our youth voice on there. And all you need to do is send your resume to resilience at Miami.gov. But so ju just a question for the two of you. What did the passing of this resolution mean to you all when it comes to inter intergenerational justice? I mean, it, it's obviously it obviously gives hope when you see that the youth are are being incorporated. But as you just said, it's it's not happening enough, and it's mm -hmm. not happening. I mean, at least in, and I'll speak to Florida. It's not happening at the state mm -hmm. level. I mean, you you have icons like Greta Thunberg on an international level who are sparking movements with millions of people striking. Um, but I don't know. In the work that I've done here in Miami, I'm I'm not seeing quite the um, the outrage as I am internationally or, or or the even just the passion and like you guys can back me up on this like Miamians are passionate if we are anything like we can we speak our mind mm -hmm. right but th for the most part at least when I'm going to a lot of public schools this isn't really a, a top issue and of course there mm -hmm. are there's affordable housing there's transportation you know there's there's so many issues that we're dealing with already but I'm I'm not seeing the initiatives that would put those students, those youth voices, like from 18 to 25, into the, into power, like like I would want. I mean, Nicole, are, are you seeing this anywhere? Are you? I I honestly agree. I feel like the only thing I can think that's similar to this is when we were at the school board and there was a student representative there, just in the midst of it all, sitting with the committee. I mean, that doesn't say that's not what to were you say at the school board for. In high school, uh -huh. when we were pressuring them to allow us to go on a field trip to a protest and make it like a field trip for the entire school, that way we can get like 12 buses over to a protest. <laughs> I remember that. And I was talking to the principal and like we were reaching out to the school board. I went to go speak to the school board about stuff like that. And 
there was a student rep, rep there that was agreeing with me and really voicing my feelings as well. But it was just one to like seven or eight of them. And so it's similar, but not the same. Like the city of Miami, they really sit on the committee and have say and are in the same level of credentials. Yeah, they can even vote. There. Exactly. And that's what we need. Power plays. Listen, it's not about making room at the table. It's really and truly taking the table to the youth. And you two have frontline experience doing that. But the one thing I want to frame is this. I believe, well, first of all, Cleo as an institute is determined to build a generation of climate leaders in the young people. So the whole concept of Gen Cleo, our youth movement that Katrina oversees, that Gen Cleo movement is statewide, but it's also national and international. So I want our listening audience to know that what's happening down here in Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Tallahassee, the state of Florida, is happening around the country and around the world where the youth are trying hard to find their voices and to share their voices to demand a livable future. And I love hearing what you're saying, Adam and Nicole, because I'm not youth anymore, although I like to think I am, <laughs> but my goodness, the outrage is high. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, first of all, in your approach to this whole interdisciplinary way of bringing in the youth voice, how do you trigger their outrage? How do you get them to realize their voice matters and it's time to speak up? I feel like talking about the city of Miami and what happened there and the fact that we demanded two youth positions to be added. And then months before, we had saw that they were taking away money from the budget for the Climate mm -hmm. Resilience Committee. And we again showed up to the meeting and demanded that they didn't do that. And they tripled the budget because we showed up. Sharing experiences like that shows my friends and people in the community like, whoa, all you did was show up. Like, you're like me and all you did was show up to a meeting and you were like, hey, do this because we say so. Okay, so your story empowers them. Mm -hmm. This figure, I can make a difference. If Nicole made a difference, I can do it. Yeah. Adam, what are you finding out? Yeah, I would definitely second that and say, I, I, I want to give, give a couple of examples because one, I think, as you, you said, you personalized it into the city of Miami. This is what I did here in Miami. When I'm working with kids, a lot of times I say, okay, we live here in Miami. We are ground zero for sea level rise. And I'll show them a GIF of what six feet of sea level rise looks like for our community. And when they see that blue start to appear on that map, you, you see their eyes bulge. You know, it's like, oh, this is here. And then we explain, you know, this is, if nothing changes, if the status quo is maintained, this is projected within our lifetimes. Like by the end of the century, we could, we could see six feet of sea level rise. At the same time, the good news is that this doesn't have to happen. Like we can mitigate this. We can stop this. We can save Miami. You know what I'm saying? Like it's actually, there is something to save here. And when people understand it's, it's their family, it's their community, it's, it's their neighborhood, that, that sparks a fire, I think is one thing. And then the other um, point that I would want to make that I found to be very effective is when we put climate change and sea level rise and biodiversity loss in the context of so many other issues that we have today that these students are very aware of, right? So we are in the middle of a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. There's a pandemic. We have gun violence. We have women's rights being taken. You know, there's just so many things happening, and it's all interconnected. So having them understand that we're not just like this environmental group that only cares about the environment. No, we actually care about justice for people. We care about our health. We care about our family. And when they see that we're there for them and, you know, that we care— I think that that really helps them to care. Mm -hmm. I love it. Nicole, you have a, a sort of a artistic 
bend to the way you exist. And this whole Zen thing that you, <laughs> you it emanates from you. And how do you use that to sort of continue the fight? Because this is hard work, this climate fight. Oh my gosh. So for a long time, I took a break from activism and it made me really shameful because I felt like I was getting burnt out and I had just started. And I was like, I am so like, I'm so weak. Like, what am I doing? Like, this is going to be my career. Well, and so I took my break and that's really where the spirituality came in. And I started to find myself and I learned about presence and I learned about just learning to control what I can and letting go of what I can. And that really, really helped with this movement because I looked at the movement more realistically rather than like, I hate you all. Let's, I'm going to drop out of school. Because in high school, I went up to all of my teachers senior year and I said, I'm dropping out and I'm going to be like Greta Thunberg and I'm sitting outside of the city of Miami because I hate school and I'm, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And mm -hmm. there's so much more to life. And they were all like, you sound crazy. Don't drop out. Make change where you can. And they were like, make change at school. Go to the school board. And so we were able to almost get 12 buses to a protest. And so I really started to realistically look at the city of Miami and be like, okay, this is what I can control. And just that was kind of the spin that I put on it. It was just like integrating spirituality with activism so that I can take care of myself in the long run and have a realistic present perspective on the movement rather mm. than just like an emotionally egotistical driven one that's like, I want to fight you. I hate you all for not listening to us rather than like, hey, you are me. You're just misguided and misinformed. Mm -hmm. And all we need to do is sit at the table together and talk about where you come from and where we come from and come to a middle ground. Common agendas. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it because I'm not going to lie to you guys. I've been very pissed lately <laughs> because I don't know, dude, like, Sorry, I'm about to curse, but it's honestly just bullshit. Like, I'll try to communicate, like, with my friends and my family members about it. And some people, like, will even, like, mansplain to me that, like, climate change isn't real and that, like, what I'm advocating for <laughs> is wrong. And then, like, mm. you know, this really is, like, the most important issue of our generation. And there are so many horrible things happening right now with, you know, Roe versus Wade getting, you know, that no longer exists in our country anymore. And we also have to deal with climate change. Like there are just so many horrible things happening that I just want to give my soul to each and everything. And I continuously, every time I'm involved in all this like work that I'm doing, I always see that nothing ends up happening and no one cares enough. And I don't know, I just get so burnt out because like, it's so hard to do this as a professional career and also care so deeply about it also because you're thinking about it all the time. You don't even get to escape from work. You think about it every single moment. So have you thought about quitting though? Or like, have you gotten like extreme burnout to the point that like it's been really bad? And if so, what have you guys done to combat that? I mean, I haven't personally gotten to the point of quitting. Definitely uh -huh. feel burnout in maybe a little more subtle of a way where it's like, I just want to stay in bed and sleep yeah. and like rest. Um, I think what what keeps me going through that um, is in large part relationships, my mm -hmm. friends, my family, 
Um, it's in large part going outside, go, going swimming, going diving, going kayaking, walking through a mangrove forest, being in the Everglades, like connecting with nature. Yeah, I like think this is, is what I'm fighting for. That's what like, I do when I'm not That's what I'm saying. Too. It's like, yeah. it's understand. It's really just like grounding ourselves in the appreciation of our planet and the mm-hmm. appreciation of like the people that we get to live with. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's understanding that and just grounding in that and, and being like, okay, like. I'm so crazy impressed that people as young as you two, you three actually in the room with me can be so centered and have so much EQ, emotional quotient levels that you can take care of yourself as you get back in this fight day after day. Mm -hmm. Because for me, everything is tied to climate. Woman's reproductive Mm -hmm. rights is tied to climate. Mm -hmm. Once we restrict a woman's ability to decide how many kids she wants to have, and for whatever reason, we are really messing with the climate fight in a big way. And we have statements all out about that. So there's not an issue that comes up that I can't tie to climate change. And the thing about the climate crisis, and I know you know this, is it's getting worse. We need to get across the fact that we are the first generation to really, and that this has been said many times, we're the first generation to really feel the effects of climate change mm-hmm. and the last that actually has we're a meaningful it chance. We're feeling right now. I it's hot as hell outside. I, so we hot. just had that tropical storm that left cars underwater, <laughs> yes. and that was a mini tropical storm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I think, Adam, I think you're onto something. We have to frame this as the, our moment in time. It's right now. We are in the mm-hmm. pivot of history right here, right? This is it. It's and it, and it's and it's up to us. So when we can understand that that like okay, I'm gonna just cite Spider Man because he's my favorite superhero, but <laughs> <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. And we have the power, we know we do. We just have to utilize it. We have our phones, we have social media, we have like mm-hmm. we have this. We just need to understand it and then be the leader. So like in my mind, it's when local leaders like us, like you like you both who are mm-hmm. hosting us here are inspiring the rest of the community, that's when we really start to make change and that's when we can develop the political will Mm -hmm. to transform the systems. We have a lot of people that listen to House on Fire, but just because you care about climate issues and you're talking about it doesn't mean that you're doing advocacy efforts. For me, I always tell people, the reason I got into the climate crisis movement because I read a book and I was outraged to find out that the solutions already exist and we're doing nothing <laughs> to implement them. So, you know, that's why I got involved in it. Um, you know, for me, I think the number one solution to the climate crisis is actually advocacy. But what brought you all to the climate movement? So if there's anyone listening on here, like what was your spark that brought you to the table? The same The same thing. thing. I went. I took an environmental science course and they taught me all the science. All the data was there. The solutions were there. And every <laughs> single day I found myself going to class. There were times my teacher thought I was hysterical. I was crying sometimes in class watching the documentaries because it really hurt me. And I was just like, this is bullshit. Just like, I'm sorry to curse, but like, this has been going on for so long. Chevron themselves did the science. And so you're outraged. It outraged me. And so I turned that into just motivation and I reached out to Cleo and that's how I got into it all. And before I knew it, I was going to every protest, every (laughs) event, every workshop, sending the emails. (laughs) That's what you got to do. What about you, Adam? So mine 
wasn't like a recent, oh my God, climate change, we have to act. I would probably, if I had to pinpoint it, I'd probably go back to like fourth grade. My dad took me on a cruise, went to a few places. One was Belize and I went diving for the first time in my life. And I was on the coral reef uh, doing snuba. So like not a tank on my back, but oh, down there. Oh, reefs messed me up too, yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, my mind, like I had no, I had ne never seen anything like this. The reefs in, in Miami are not like this. John Pennycamp is not like this. I just didn't realize so much life existed. And so at that point, I knew I wanted to do something that had to do with the ocean. I thought I wanted to be an underwater photographer. Then I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to be a dive instructor. I was trying to figure it out. When I got to UM, I was a marine bio major and I wanted to focus on shark or coral conservation. Um, but it was at that point when I was at UM that I realized in order to protect uh, these ecosystems, in order to protect this life it really doesn't need that much more science. Like Nicole just said, we have the solutions, right? So uh, I felt like there was a big gap between the science and and the people and mm -hmm. the policies. And so that's when I moved from marine biology to environmental science and policy so I could really focus more on the communication aspect of this so that we can engage communities. And we're so glad you did, Adam. Welcome aboard. We need your voice more <laughs> than <you>. ever. <laughs> so let's talk about the University of Miami, mm. like universities around the country and around the world. We have two ways of dealing with climate. Stop what's causing it, the spewing of these planet warming gases, stop that, that's mitigation, or raise roads and put green infrastructure, or both. We know that universities are getting a little pressure from their student bodies to what we say divest, to make sure that their endowments are not being used or growing funds from sponsoring fossil fuels. So tell me about any work you've done at UM with respect to the divestment campaign. So I've done some work at UM and it really started in high school, honestly, because I was trying to brainstorm what impact I could make going to a university. I really just wanted to go straight into the field, work at Clio, but my parents were like, it's going to make a really deeper impact if you get your bachelor's mm -hmm. and you have credibility. And I'm really glad that I did that. And so as a senior, I was thinking, okay, how can I make a change at UM? And I learned about divestment campaigns and the fact that our own universities put our tuition money into the very industries causing the climate crisis, which is threatening our future. Like that chills. is <laughs> mind boggling. And I reached out to the president at the time of the divestment campaign and we met and she really just gave me the guidelines, showed me the way for next year once I joined UM and what, what they were doing, how I could help out. Um, and we just talked about getting endorsements from local elected officials. And um, fast forward a couple years now, I'm the president of the campaign and I'm really excited. Yes, <laughs> I'm really excited because... Um, the recent update is that UM voted to divest from fossil fuels. What? That is what the treasurer, Charmel Maynard, told me, mm. saying the full name. You guys can reach out to him. This is the information <laughs> he gave me. But there's no public statement. Where is the proof? Where is the data? Yeah. Where is the papers? It was kind of like a shut up, get off of me, like get away. It, it was really. So you have to make sure that's not just greenwashing. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where I'm at right now. He even told me at the meeting, like, this is all I can do. This is where I leave off. Like, you guys should celebrate. And I was like, eh. <laughs> this feels weird. Like, every other university that divested, Yale, Harvard, like, all of these universities made a public statement and they were like, we are proud of doing this. UM is like, hee hee, like, we did it on the side. Is UM involved with FBL? Maybe they're, like, scared because of that? Well, they have this long-lasting um, last divestment, which is 
look they said that it's expected to expire in um 2026 so maybe that's what it has something to do with but that's where I'm at. I'm reaching out to the communica- communications directors to now pressure them to make that public statement. Well, it's an absolute shame that we have to shame them into doing the right thing. But you go, girl. I'm telling you, the power of the youth voice is what's going to turn this needle. I know Adam has actually done some work with UM's sustainability department. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I know they need more help. <laughs> yeah, they definitely do. Um, so the Office of Sustainability at UM is led by this amazing man. His name is Teddy Lutelier, and he is my former boss because I used to work with him as the outreach and communications person for the office. Now, this being said, I was the first person that Teddy has ever been allowed to hire, the only person he's gotten funds to hire because up until me, he was a one-man show. The Office of Sustainability was Teddy. And, that's, and how long that's, has this been? That's greenwashing. That since the, since the creation of the office, um, I don't know the exact year that the office was created, but for its entire existence, the entire the At office has been At least five years. So oh, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is years. like the most important thing for the university when it comes to like protecting our future and they're only providing minimal funding and just funding and just giving it to one person to do. Yeah, the, and I talked to him recently yeah. and he he no longer has an, an, an Adam, right? So right now he is by himself and he's looking for somebody else, but he, you know, he needs help. So the university really does need to invest in its office of sustainability if it's going to talk the talk. Mm-hmm. So what can I, our listeners do right now to help Teddy out? Because I know he's doing incredible work and we want to support him. I mean, I would go to, I would Google University of Miami Office of Sustainability and then I would contact him and I'd be like, hey, Teddy, we want to help you. Like we want, what what can we do? Because he he would know better than anybody how, how he could use the help and he's, you know, he's fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. And he's a wonderful man. I've known Teddy for at least a decade and he's mm-hmm. so earnest and so sincere. Yep. I do think we need a full court press to enlarge that department at the University of Miami. Definitely could use it. Okay, so this has been a great conversation. You youth inspire me because I have to wake up every morning to fight another day just like you do. Tell me, your magic wand, you have spoken, you have done things. What is the one thing you want all the youth you work with to know and to feel? We don't know what we have until it's gone. So we either act now or will regret not having acted. Yep. Wow, I love that. So we would have lost our moment in time to really inflect change in the right way. I, I want students, I want anybody listening to really understand the power that they have um, and understand that, I know we, we don't want five sentences here, so I'll just say, <laughs> try to tie together your skills, what you're good at, with what you're passionate about, what you love doing, and with the problems that need to be solved. Try to find a little middle ground, create a little triple Venn diagram. I'll cite Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson, love her. And spend as much time in the middle of that Venn diagram as possible because that's how really we're going to start to effectuate change. Beautiful. Katrina, I'm going to ask you the same question. You work with the youth all the time. You've been the right-hand person leading the Gen Cleo movement at the Cleo Institute. You do a lot. What do you want and you want every one of those little nuggets to know and to feel about this climate fight? I did not prepare for this question. <laughs> That's okay. That We get the best answers when you're not prepared. I guess like the first thing I think about, not in terms of like them not knowing, but like if I could just ask someone something, I would say, why don't you care? Um, that's one thing that like really hits home for me. We kind of, we are the last generation that is ever going to see earth and experience earth the way that we are. 
when Adam was talking about going to trails, that's something that really resonates with me and it makes me really emotional. I love hiking and I love going outdoors and that really is what I'm fighting for. And if we don't do something now, we are going to be the last generation that gets to experience Earth for what it is now. And that's what I want people to know, that if you want to make sure that in 100 years from now, people have access to clean air and clean water and the same life that you did, we have to take action now. And this is why the youth movement is so important. Look at how profound you are. I, I'm, I'm saying, I mean, I think everything that uh, Katie was just saying is grounded in really just appreciating yes. what we have, like the gratitude for what we have and just feeling the joy of being able to go on a trail. Like if we can start to feel those things and also model those things for other people, I think I think we can do it. So let's let's just have a moment of respect for the youth movement and trying to get all the hamster wheels moving in the same direction because I'm going to summarize what you all said. This is our moment in time. This is our last chance. If you look at the timeline of history, the current trajectory we determine, and the trajectory is either dystopia or reclaiming Mother Earth as we hope it would be forever. And we want to reclaim her so bad. Yeah. We are. We are. Well, <laughs> that's why the divestment campaign, it's like, you know, Yoka, our executive director, has a great analogy for the climate crisis. She goes, the climate crisis is like an overflowing bathtub. And all we want to do is mop up the floods and buy fluffier towels and better mops to mop it up. But at what point are we going to turn off the leaking faucet? And that's where I think the youth movement demanding change at a global level mm -hmm. to cut out the fossil fuels and to make this just transition to renewables happen and happen fast. I want to call someone out. I want to call out Mayor Suarez. He is currently doing nothing for the city of Miami, and he is continuing to invest in cryptocurrency and make Miami a new tech hub and continue to gentrify Miami. Miamians are no longer able to live in Miami. So instead of kicking Miamians out, invest in ways that we could protect the city of Miami from sea level rise in climate change. We passed a climate emergency. Mayor Suarez, I am calling on you mm -hmm. to enact it. This was not our way of greenwashing you. And there we go, talking truth to power. Mm -hmm. Jan Cleo and House on Fire, this is what we're all about. Thank you for our, to our guest today, Adam Roberti, Nicole Gazel. You make us proud to be part of the youth movement, and I hope you know that your ripple effect is unmeasurable. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. House on Fire is powered by the Clio Institute and could not exist without the help of the Lynn and Lewis Wolfson II Family Foundation. Thank you so much for making this happen. Here at the Clio Institute, we believe that the best way to get people into the climate movement is through education. And one of the best ways to do that is by sharing House on Fire with your friends and family. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast. And House on Fire can be found on all channels where podcasts are available. Thank you.